taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon. This is Andrea Matthews, and this is Authentic Living. Today, we're talking to Steve Riles, a recovering addict, author of three poetry books, and founder of his own publishing company, who understands the depths of deprivation and false highs, as well as the heights of wonder. He's the author of Drunk with Wonder, Awakening to the God Within, and he offers us a unique vision of science, spirituality, intentionality, and the importance of transformative practices in creating the world of our dreams. Not only does his book give us actual practices that we can use to awaken, but it offers a wisdom gained from the shadow side as well. One day, Steve just started talking to that quiet voice within, and the rest is a book. This kind of dialogue is essential to the process of waking up to who we really are, and we're going to be talking about that dialogue some more today. Welcome, Steve, to Authentic Living. Thank you so much. It's uh, really great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity very much, Andrea. Oh, we're glad to be able to offer what you have to offer to our listeners. Let's just jump right in here. What you know, your, your book is called Drunk with Wonder, Awakening to the God Within. What can we learn just from looking at that title? Uh, what we can learn is that <clears throat> spirituality, at least from my perspective, is an inside job. Uh, so much of uh, world culture and religions look at something outside of ourselves uh, to gain a spiritual uh, perspective. And uh, I'm one of, of course, many teachers who talk about uh, it being an inside job, that uh, the divinity of all that is, the oneness lives within us, is given expression through us, or one of the ways it's given expression, and uh, that actually we can see our lives in the context that each breath we take is a sacred act, is an act of worship. Well, in some cultures that would be, or some um, religious institutions, that would be a pretty novel concept. Yes, I know. I'm aware that there are a number of parts of what I have to share with the world that may seem provocative to some people. And uh, it's very common in our world culture to need an intercessory of some kind in order to get uh, spiritual approval or redemption, that uh, there's a, a long-standing message in many of our cultures that people are born messed up, they're born screwed, mm-hmm. and that only through some outside uh, intercessory, as I said, the church, uh, religious institution, some uh, divine figure, <clears throat> are we able to get right with God. And my contention is that we uh, are right with God from the moment we're born, even before the moment we're born, and that there is no intercessory needed, that we, when we are really willing to step into our own magnificence, that we are able to commune directly with the one heart. And I want to make it really clear that I'm not speaking of being really our magnificence in, in an egotistical way simply that it is our birthright to be one with spirit, to be the one with the truth of who we really are, and that everyone, every single person on the planet has that same ability, has that same essential nature. Right. So, so basically what you're saying is we sort of forgot. Oh, yeah. I think we did a really good job of forgetting. I think uh, <clears throat> since we're God and all, uh, I thought that I think that we... Uh, or a bunch of God decided to go on down to earth and uh, put on a grand passion play with billions of characters and you know tens of thousands of years, and that because we're you know we're the essence of God, we made the game interesting by seeing how deeply we could bury the truth of who we really are, and still find a way to come home to that truth, which people do all the time. Right. Right. Okay, so you've done a lot of research into other, you know, religions, and and you've done a lot of work on reading spiritual um, documents and readings. So tell us, how is it 
that a person could tell the difference between an inner self and a dream or a wish to be something? Well, from my perspective, uh, the, truly connecting with our inner selves, our higher selves, uh, I, there's never any sense of what I would call selfishness mm-hmm. or egotism or you know, I, anything like, oh, I'm really spiritual, awake, and other people aren't, so I'm better than them. It's, it's not anything to do with that. It's not about gaining physical riches. Uh, it's, although they're fine in their context, I suppose, but um, I think a lot of people get lost in, in grasping and, and striving to get some kind of approval outside of themselves. Right. Um, I'm reminded of the saying, uh, those who die with the most toys win, and, and my comeback is those who die die with the most toys are dead. Um, So it's about finding that that the true inner voice, which is always loving, it's always kind, it's always deeply compassionate. If there's a, a voice that we're hearing that is accusatory, judgmental, nasty, uh, we can be assured that that is not our higher self. That is probably some <clears throat> voice from a parental figure or a, you know some other kind of authority figure that we grow up with. Okay. But it's okay. not our higher self. Right. So it, would there be some kind of emotional response to that as well? Well, I found there to be a profound emotional response uh, for myself, and that is a... Oh, you know, one of the, one of the stories I tell is about uh, being a small child, maybe four, and going to a mall with your parents and somehow getting lost from them in the crowd and having that sense of, of being you know, abandoned, of being terrified. It, it uh, kicks in one of the five most primitive emotions that we have, which is separation anxiety. And, that, and, and to kind of remember that sense of, of terror, really. And then to remember what it's like to see them again and know that everything's okay. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a profound sense of coming home, of everything's safe, everything's okay, that the resolution of that particular story uh, happens in a very positive, productive way. Right. And I think that, that's a, that it's a profound emotional response. Okay. So you could also say that the, one of the ways that a person could tell whether or not they're really working with the, uh, the higher self is that there is a, some kind of uh, sense of reunion or the joy or the peace of that reunion that sort of coming home feels like? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a sense of relaxing mm-hmm. into the truth right. of who we really are. And <clears throat> I have a, you know, I have a, a sense that it, this can happen every day. It certainly happens every day with me. I uh, take time to meditate and to journal and spend some really strong, spiritually connected time. And every single day when I have, go through, allow myself to go through this experience, I have these same kinds of feelings. It's a real buoyancy. It's a real, uh, it's, it's a deep feeling of, you know, more than soothing, more than relief, it's a, it's a really profound connection. Okay. All right. So then on the other side of that, if we have feelings of depression or um, um, sort of negative, I don't like being alive, sort of bored or things like that, that's not necessarily coming from the authentic or the higher self. Well, I don't, I don't have an experience of that happening, no, uh, not at all. Okay. And I okay. That's have tried helpful. committing suicide much earlier in my life, and I... Uh, so, and I have friends who've committed suicide and family members who've committed suicide, so I'm uh, deeply aware of, of how much people can be hurting. And uh, I think that, that that very sense of depression, of hopelessness, is, uh, comes about because we feel so disconnected. And I want to, Andrea, I want to just kind of take that a little bit farther. We have to kind of feel connected at some point in order to even feel disconnected. Does that make sense? Absolutely. If we've never felt connected, we don't, we, we don't really miss it in that sense. And yet, there's a yearning. 
I think most people, if you ask them point blank, do you, have you ever felt a yearning to be more spiritually connected? Uh, most people would say yes. Mm-hmm. Right. So that adds to the mystery of, well, where did we get that original feeling of being connected? Right. And I, I, I do believe uh, that we're born with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my wife's favorite stories is when her oldest child was born and she looked into his eyes and she saw God. Wow. She saw the presence, the friend, as Rumi would say, uh, looking back at her. And she understood immediately what the whole life cycle was about. She'd never really been that, you know, thought about it all that much. It was just, you know, you get married, you, you have kids, and there she was. And all of a sudden, she had this profound spiritual awakening based on looking in her newborn's eyes. Wow, that's, that's very powerful. Okay, we're talking today to Steve Riles. We're going to be back in just a moment. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit A-I-H-T dot E-D-U. All my love. When I found out my jeans were made using child labor in sweatshops, I wrote a letter to the company saying, reconsider your labor practices. A few months later, I get a letter back saying, thanks for being a loyal customer, and they included a coupon for a 25% discount on their jeans. So I got smart, wrote letters every day to all the stores that carry the brand, asking them to stop supporting the companies who use child labor in sweatshops. And I just kept getting letters back thanking me for my concerns and more coupons for more discounts on more jeans. So I'm telling my friend about it, and she flips out, saying that between all the letters and coupons, some paper company cut down a small forest, driving off two indigenous tribes, hundreds of endangered animals, killing thousands of plant species, some of which may have contained vaccines for HIV, cancer, and syphilis. Meanwhile, the guys cutting down the trees are 13-year-old kids who work night and day for months just to save up enough money to buy a pair of jeans made by child labor in sweatshops. Saving the world isn't easy, but saving a life is. Just one pint of blood can save up to three lives. Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back with Authentic Living, sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. And today we're talking with Steve Riles about his book, Drunk with Wonder, Awakening to the God Within. Steve, I want to talk a little bit about quantum physics. What, okay. what do quantum physics say about the reality that we really need to know? Well, you know, it's fascinating. Uh, the more we learn about uh, the world through quantum physics, uh, the more it begins to sound like spiritual teachings that have been a part of our tradition for thousands of years. Uh, one of my favorites is the whole idea of uh, what's known as the law of entanglement. 
And that is very basically the idea that if you take two subatomic particles and you associate them with each other, which is that they, they get physically close and they begin spinning or they have the same kind of electrical charge to, to simplify the situation. Mm-hmm. And then you move them apart. Uh, there was a recent experiment in Geneva, I believe, actually this year, where they moved these two particles apart via fiber optic cable to testing stations that were 11 miles apart. And then they applied uh, a charge to one of these particles uh, it, such that it changed its state in a measurable way. And 11 miles away, the other particle that was entangled with the first one instantly changed to match the first one's change in, in charge or spin. Now, what's amazing about that is that we're very, very, very good at being able to tell time in incredibly small increments. There is now uh, the ability with very short laser pulses to break one second of time into what's called the femtoseconds and to give you an idea of how many femtoseconds are in one second of time, Andrea, uh, imagine the, uh, twice as many seconds as there have been in the entire duration of this universe. To try to get your head around that one. Twice as many se- femtoseconds in one second of our time as there have been seconds in the 14 billion year history of our universe. Mm. And they were able to measure these two particles, to see if there was even one femtosecond of difference in when, they, in when the second one changed its state to reflect the first one, okay? Right. There was no, not even a femtosecond difference. It was absolutely simultaneous. And so what they were saying is that if information had traveled, as we understand it, between those two particles, because that's what's really going on, it would have had to travel at something like 110,000 times the speed of light. Well, according to relativity, you pretty much can't go faster than the speed of light, so that seems like not really very likely. And Einstein himself called this kind of behavior spooky action at a distance. And he pretty much dismissed it because it didn't make any sense from his perspective. And he had a pretty big perspective. The point is, there's a way in which we're all connected at a very fundamental level. If you think about the Big Bang as we understand it, the very first moments of the universe, you know, all of the hydrogen in the entire universe was created in that instant of that Big Bang. And all of the elements that are in the universe now, including all of the elements that make up our Earth and our bodies, were created in the crucibles of these stars that burned hydrogen, turned them into helium and eventually heavier elements, and then exploded in supernovas. And it seeded the universe with these particles of gold and lead and and carbon and oxygen and so on that make up our world. So we're literally star stuff, and we're literally connected with everything in the universe because we all come out of the same primordial moment of manifestation into this universe as elemental hydrogen. Does that make sense? Sure. And so when people talk about, wow, I can read your thoughts, or there's this consistent stories of various kinds of parapsychology and psychic abilities and so on and so forth, or we sometimes we know the moment before the phone rings, that it's going to, and we know who it is. I think most of us have probably experienced that. Uh, These are times when we're really in the flow, when we're really aware of that still, small voice within, and it's guiding us, or it's, it's, it's communicating in a way, often not with words, but with feelings, with the felt sense of intuition. And this is how... Uh, the you know the mystics have talked about the oneness of all life, of the entire universe, and here we are being able to measure it in really really quantifiable ways. 
So it really pretty much, uh, I guess what we could say here is in some sense this is proving the divine. As far as I'm concerned, they're looking at the universe and understanding the, the universe as, as best as we can and to understand our planet as best as we can. From my perspective, the idea that this was all randomly generated makes far less sense than the idea that there was a really clear awareness of creation right down to the level of the creation of the laws of physics as we understand them. Because the laws of physics, precisely as we understand them and precisely as they manifest on Earth, have not only made it possible for life, they've made life pretty much inevitable. And as we're coming to a greater understanding of just how vast the universe is, how many galaxies, how many stars in the average galaxy, how many planets are undoubtedly around many of these stars, and you start looking at that, you realize there are billions, literally billions at least, of habitable planets, habitable to life forms such as ours, in the universe, and that life is, must be abundant. It must be incredibly abundant. And I think, from my own you know, metaphysical perspective, God's great gift is the gift of life itself. And this gift of life, this unconditionally loving gift of life, because I, I can't imagine a greater gift, is uh, given through this context of creating a universe, of, of forging a universe where the laws of physics are as they are, and it gives us an opportunity to experience life and to, in essence, see the universe from the inside out. Okay. All right. So, actually, what you're saying is that we connect um, to each other in the same way that this law of entanglement works, in the same way that Einstein sort of uh, talked about what, what do they call that, the field of, there's a word for this, and I'm forgetting it right now. Oh, is it the, are we talking about the field of pure potential? Yes, there you go. That uh -huh. we're, we're, we're talking about that we're all connected on some level that's maybe out of our awareness, but definitely there that sometimes we pick up on it and other times we don't. Right, and I, and I, I come back and I talk about this in, in Drunk with Wonder. I talk about how to become more aware of this, how to become, which is, a, which is, about becoming more present, becoming really waking up in the moment. That's what so many of our wisest teachings are all about, ultimately, is the ability through whatever modality, uh, often meditation, for example. Uh, yoga is an ancient example of uh, giving people an ability to focus and let go of various stories and thoughts and ideas and um, settle into this incredible peace and joy and bliss that's available in each now moment. And out of that peace, that serenity, that presence that everyone uh, is able to get to, is capable of getting to if they're willing to uh, spend some time working on it and practicing, that's where we can obtain a lot of wisdom and information and connection about what's going on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if that's true, if we can get all that information and if we can get to bliss and if we can begin to really sort of live our lives from that presence, what are we so afraid of? <laughs> well, it seems to me that uh, Marianne Williamson had it right mm -hmm. in that uh, beautiful passage that she wrote that uh, Nelson Mandela quoted in his uh, inauguration speech many years ago, and some people actually have erroneously attributed to him. But Marianne Williamson wrote it. And basically, to paraphrase it, she said, it is not our darkness we most fear, it is our light. And so that uh, you ask a great question, Andrea. This is the crux of, of my argument about this quite often, is that what we're so afraid of is, is awakening into our own magnificent and taking responsibility for our lives mm, and stop being a victim. 
then we don't have anybody to blame anymore. You know, if only you were different, I'd be fine. We, can't, we, we, we need to stop doing that. We need to stop blaming the government or a church or, you know, my brother or my mother or you know, whoever for how I'm showing up in the world today and start taking responsibility for that. And at some level, begin to take responsibility for how I've experienced my entire life and, and my own co-creation in that. And that can be a really challenging thing for people to do because as we let go of our stories about who we thought we were, about our identity or parts of our identity, it can actually feel like losing a friend or a loved one. Mm -hmm. These can be really cherished stories that have helped us survive up to this moment. And yet if we really want to thrive in, in healthy and meaningful, spiritually awakened ways, we need to be able to let go of our stories of fear and lack and I'm not good enough and, and so on. All right. Well, that's very well said, and we're going to talk some more about that responsibility when we come back in just a moment. This is Andrea Matthews, and this is Authentic Living. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh, there you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my PhD in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit A-I-H-T dot E-D-U. All my love. What can you tell me about SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA teaches you employability skills. So you know how to deal with people, you have teamwork, your resume is going to look awesome. Well, it's important to know your technical skills, but not only that, to have soft skills, the skills of learning how to communicate with people. On the web at skillsusa.org. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's one 866 472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We're back. We're talking today with Steve Riles, author of Drunk with Wonder, Awakening to the God Within. Steve, you've had a pretty rough uh, addiction in the past, pretty rough life for a, a period of time with that addiction. How did you get from there to here? Well, Andrea, I've had a whole hassle of addictions, actually. I've thought about writing a book called 
all my addictions at uh, one point. I don't know whether it would be really useful or not, but I was addicted to tobacco by my 13th birthday <clears throat> and uh, went through a process of some very heavy drug use as a teen and then uh, I got into using alcohol uh, when I was 18 and let go of that just about eight years ago. So, yes, I've had lots of addictive uh, experiences. In fact, <clears throat> I like to look at different experiences we have and, and look for the gifts. So at some point I started looking at the gifts of my addictions. And not that I want anyone to go out and get addicted so they can find their gifts, but right. uh, for those who already are, I, uh, I tell you that I, there are gifts in there if you're willing to look for them. And there are profound gifts in, in, in letting go of those addictions. But I decided, uh, especially after I let go of uh, alcohol, that addictions are a symptom rather than a cause. And because I had become addicted to various substances and then gotten over those addictions only to get addicted to something else, I realized that I was kind of playing whack-a-mole. I wasn't really treating the underlying issue. So I decided to go on a search to try to understand, at least for myself, what was going on. And so I finally realized that addictions are symptoms. And what uh, I like to say, and this comes out of the work of Rich and Yvonne Dutra St. John, who founded a great nonprofit called Challenge Day, uh, is that what we're really dealing with is trying to medicate ourselves because of these really intense emotional feelings of alienation and loneliness and separation. This really basic sense that there's something broken in me, fundamental flaw that I am incapable of fixing. And if you knew who I really was, you wouldn't like me. So I'm going to go hide under a rock, and, I'm, and that rock sometimes is called alcohol, sometimes called other addictions. So sometimes the addiction is to work or to sex or to television or to food. It's not necessarily at all an addiction to something that's you know, deemed illegal in our society or inappropriate. So that's the bottom line for me is that once I begin to work on these fundamental issues of self-worth and, uh, and facing my, these stories that I had been carrying around, this emotional baggage that I'd been carrying around for a lifetime and learned ways, learned tools to use to start releasing some of that pent-up energy, my kind of itch to do something of an addictive nature to distract myself from those feelings of helplessness and worthlessness and despair and depression started to fade. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And that's when I just, I no longer have that feeling of I got to do something to distract myself from being here, from being me, uh, and from owning the truth of all of my experiences. And so... You know, I truthfully, I do not feel as though I'm recovering. That's one of the ways that I respectfully disagree with the 12-step model. Mm -hmm. I believe very deeply that we can be recovered and move on with our lives. Right. There's a way in which I see saying that we're, we live in fear of alcohol or we live in fear of what have you. We're still giving our power to that substance, mm -hmm. or to that idea. And uh, I... I use as an example, uh, I go out in social situations and people want to have a glass of wine. If they don't know me very well, they'll say, oh, I understand you quit drinking. Do you mind if I have a glass of wine? And my response is always, oh, you're having a glass of wine doesn't make me want to. And that's really, to me, the bottom line is I have, as I've awakened into my sovereignty, to my own truth, I am less, uh, you know, persuaded or pulled by other people's uh, uh, behavior, whether it's addictive or not. And I, I totally understand that many people can enjoy a glass of wine in the evening or a good beer and, uh, and not be addicted and not be having any problems at all. In fact, I still love good beer. It's just non-alcoholic in nature. Right. Yeah, and you're doing what I, what I would call the 13th step, which is life. I, I think you, what happens is we get to a place where we're healthier than than our need to be addicted and we've just moved beyond it and and you you stepped into your own divine nature your own authentic self 
And in so doing, you just no longer feel the need for those other things that were substitutes for the authentic self. Yeah, I'm, and it's not like I'm a, um, what's a, someone, I'm forgetting his name in the moment, but someone called a dry drunk. Right. Uh, where you can stop doing an addictive behavior, but you haven't dealt with any of the underlying emotional issues. Mm-hmm. So you're not necessarily any more fun to be around, perhaps even less fun to be around. Right, right. Right, I agree, and, and, and that was well put. I'm real glad you said that because I do think, I mean, while I do believe that the 12-step programs have a lot to offer, um, like any other thing, they can evolve to something higher as well, and, and I think that there's a lot of people like yourself out there challenging uh, the, the 12-step programs to sort of evolve to something else as well. And, and That's exactly right, and I want <clears throat> to fervently and, and enthusiastically agree that that the 12-step program is a huge improvement over the addictive behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's much preferable to the addictive behavior. I just feel deeply, uh, like you said, that we really can move on. Right. We really can move past that time. Uh, I know that uh, I have numerous friends who have been involved with various 12-step programs, sometimes for decades now, and they're still very active in their groups, and it means an enormous amount to them. And I appreciate that. Community is one of the most important things we can possibly have as an ally in moving into being present and awake and fully alive. Community relationships, I think, are what life is all about on a whole lot of levels. Right, right. Okay. So it is possible to move beyond the cravings and the uh, sort of uh, need to fall back into relapse and that kind of thing. And that's, it's, it's similar to a lot of the psychology that we've perpetuated, myself included, uh, in the past where we said that people couldn't get well from certain things and we might be discovering at this point in our evolution that perhaps they can. Yeah, I think that that story that we can't get well from certain things is, is, is a story that no longer serves us. Mm-hmm. I, and, and again, I, I want to emphasize this isn't about being egotistical. It's about beginning to understand the nature of addictive behavior and what's going on at a very deep level. And I think that that's something that isn't addressed as well as I would like it to see in a lot of these 12-step programs. You know, there are reasons why we begin to self-medicate. And those reasons have to do with deep emotional trauma in literally every case and every client I've ever had. I, I wonder if you would agree with that. I think that's very, very true. We're self-medicating some real pain in there, and trauma is definitely one of those things that's both frightening, horrific, and extremely heartbreaking at the same time. It absolutely is, and yet we can be survivors. We do not have to remain victims. And we can, you know, the energy that gets locked, I call it the memory, the, the trauma that gets locked into cellular memory with adrenaline can be released. It can be let go of so that it begins to feel more like a story we've read rather than this really intense, painful situation. Right, and that gets sort of to the biology of what makes fear predominant uh, as an unconscious emotion. You spoke in the first segment about uh, sort of letting go and changing the stories and all that, so now we're getting down to how do we do that? How do we change our programming? Well, it seems to me that first we have to understand that we have programming. <laughs> you know, okay. what we don't own runs us, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very important uh, that I, with my clients, for example, that uh, we get to a place where we're able to be fully present in the moment, aware that the non-dual nature of who we really are is not any of our stories, it's not any of our thoughts and that we have the ability, the, the, the innate ability, to choose which, if any, stories we want to identify with. So to me, step one is some form of mindfulness meditation, some way for us to begin to practice becoming aware that who we really are is not any of our thoughts and not any of our, not any of our stories, uh, that there is this ever-present awareness And that ever-present awareness, by the way, is the same awareness as this small, still voice that we've been speaking of. Mm -hmm. 
It's all the same. And so as we begin to awaken to the truth of who we really are, and that who we really are is not any of our stories, we begin to see how we've been letting our stories run us. Okay, that's a really good point, and I want to come back to that and talk some more about that whole idea of uh, letting go of the stories in the programming in just a few minutes. This is Andrea Matthews. We're talking today to Steve Riles. We'll be back in just a moment. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T, with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. Over there, over there's the water. Whoosh, whoosh. And look at all this stuff I'm standing on. It's called sand, and it's everywhere. This woman may sound silly to you and me. It's made up of little tiny pieces of rocks. Teeny little pieces of rocks. But to her two-year-old son exploring the world around him, <laughs> she makes perfect sense. How does it feel when you touch the sand? Is it warm? Uh-huh. It's hard to hold in your hand, isn't it? Uh-huh. Learning starts long before school does, and children are naturally curious. They want to learn, so follow their lead. Take simple, everyday moments, like sorting laundry or playing on the beach, and turn them into learning moments. Is this water? No. Very good. This is sand. Oh, <laughs> no, no, it's not food. It's sand. We don't eat sand. <laughs> Turn everyday moments into learning moments. Find out how at bornlearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. America is facing a skilled workforce shortage. SkillsUSA can help. What is SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA is life-changing. SkillsUSA is awesome. SkillsUSA is one of the biggest opportunities life can give you. SkillsUSA is amazing. SkillsUSA is motivating. SkillsUSA specifically prepares you for the workforce. SkillsUSA empowers students to connect with a network of people, starting with their classmates, to their advisors, to other people in their states. SkillsUSA allows students to connect with business and industry, to manage their education, and to really get a feel of the real world. I'm doing something now that's going to be applicable in the real world, and those skills are going to be useful today in school and in five years when I'm working and for the rest of my life. On the web at SkillsUSA.org. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We're back. This is Andrea Matthews talking today to Steve Riles about his book, Drunk with Wonder, Awakening to the God Within. 
Okay, so we've talked about addiction and we've talked about how it is that we can, we, or not how it is, but that we can at least begin to change our program. I want to talk a little bit about how that happens because so many times I have clients who come to see me and other people who write me questions that say, how do you do this? I've been fighting so hard to get rid of my demons, basically, and, and, I, and I can't seem to make them go away. So what is that? You know, we say, I want to help people learn to say yes to their authenticity without trying to work so hard on saying no. What is that journey? What is the journey of changing your programming? Well, one of the core issues here for me, if we look at that precise question, how can I make my demons go away? Is that yeah. an accurate representation yes, of the question? Yes. Yeah. Is to, to, is to be aware in a very compassionate way that that's another way of being a victim. You know, it's the demon's fault. It's the devil's fault. You know, the devil made me do it. Um, part of this awakening to, into the truth of who we really are is to awaken to the awareness that we're all of it. We're night and day. We're dark and light. We're up and down. We're everything. And uh, when we're young, we're often taught that certain emotions, certain ways that we are in the world, certain ways that we're wired up for <clears throat> deeply are not okay. They're not acceptable. But we're never taught how to take care of our emotions in any kind of a healthy and respectful way, we're taught to bury them. We're taught to gunny sack them, to try and pretend they don't exist. Because civilized people don't act that way. Right. Think about being a four-year-old who's walking into kindergarten for the first day. You know, think about an adult standing there and watching these kindergartners run around. And they're running around, aren't they? They're fully expressed. They're shouting and yelling. They come up and say hello. They're enthusiastic. They want to learn everything. They want to try everything, taste everything. They're just all about experience, all about a learning, all about passion. And when we start in a typical school system, we start telling kids to sit down, shut up, wait for recess, and to be orderly and to be this kind of you know, little robot. And the truth is, we're not even really beginning to do very much with abstract reasoning until we get into being uh, uh, adolescents, and <laughs> only then if we're lucky, um, because our brains just aren't wired up for it yet. And so when you think of a little kid who's fully expressed, who's just loving life and really passionate and big and loud and running around and tons of energy, and you're told to stop it, and you really don't know how to stop it, and you don't know why you should, you start feeling as though there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. You know, if, I, if only I wasn't so loud and exuberant and wanted to talk to my neighbors, then I wouldn't get in trouble. But I keep wanting to do that, and there must be something wrong with me. When the truth is there isn't anything wrong with you. But we wind up getting our passion beat out of us. You know, it's really good for an industrialized economy, and you want to have lots of worker bees in the plants working all day long. You don't want to have a lot of passion or a lot of thinking because it disrupts the system, right? And yet what we're all about is the opposite of that. We're all about getting in touch with our creativity and our passion and creating our lives in a moment-to-moment way that is the most fulfilling that we can possibly imagine. So it's really important to be able to understand that we were raised in a particular way, not to blame anybody, not to go off in another victim story, but just simply to go, oh, that's how it was. Oh, yeah. I remember when I was a little kid or like myself, my wife and I are blessed with a three-year-old granddaughter, so we routinely get to experience life through her eyes and through her heart and her incredible exuberance for every moment she's awake and her fighting to stay awake as long as she can because she doesn't want to miss anything. (laughs) You know, that passion is our birthright. And it's so crucial in our awakening to realize that that's what we want to get back to. And and it's ours. It's not like anybody can give it to us. It's, It's ours for the taking. 
Right. So when we're we're when we're trying to change our programming, we're not going to go to war with ourselves and tell ourselves to stop doing something. We're going to really uh, focus in on who we really already are. Yeah, if you're moving down a path, you can say, I'm moving away from something or I'm moving towards something. Your, your path, your, the direction you're going is exactly the same. Nothing has changed except your perspective. And so what I'm about is helping people to understand that they can choose positive stories, positive outcomes, and that when life hands us issues that are challenging, we can look for the gifts in those challenges, we can feel our feelings fully, and not be frightened of them. Okay, so um, why is it that... You know, you, you've talked with people who've had this situation, and so have I, that a person can say, well, I'm doing all these affirmations, but nothing seems to be shifting. What's going on there? What's going on is that, <clears throat> from my perspective, is that they're pretty much staying in their head. They're staying uh, in their mind, in their thoughts. And where these issues live is down in our subconscious and all the way down literally into our cellular memory. Uh, as I talk about in Drunk with Wonder, uh, I believe that trauma, emotional trauma, gets burned into cellular memory with adrenaline. And if we want to truly move away from being stuck in those stories, which most, haven't have, most often have to do with fear and lack and unworthiness, we need to be willing to release those emotional, that emotional baggage. And there are, you know, we obviously don't have time today, but... There are many tools and exercises and processes and workshops and books that can help with the process, and it is a process, of developing the skill sets to be able to effectively deal with our emotions in a loving, full-on way where we can safely and responsibly in healthy ways feel all of our feelings and stop being afraid of any of them, even the ones that we're traditionally the most afraid of, which include grief and anger. Mm-hmm. Okay, so really, uh, if somebody's doing a lot of affirmations, what you would encourage them to do is maybe pay attention to their emotions, maybe get into some dream work or something that would put them in touch with what's going on underneath the surface. Absolutely. I think it's critical because, <clears throat> you know, uh, as Bruce Lipton pointed out in The Biology of Belief, um, you know, 10% of our thought processes are conscious. The other 90% are those we have to address. Right. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for coming on our show today. We've been talking with Steve Riles. This is Andrea Matthews. And tune in again next week. We're going to be talking to Annie Weiner about prosperity consciousness. This is Authentic Living. And just remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.